Henry Schleif. He's been my friend forever. He is the boss of an assortment of cable channels, the ones I can remember at the moment, Discovery Channel, Travel Channel, Investigative Destination America Channel. He's the boss of at least half a dozen cable channels. And you will remember when you watched about Jean Benet, about O.J., about Menendez Brothers. He was the one who brought us all the crime stories. Henry Schleif. You are running half of the top channels on on cable. Where do you come from? Where were you born? Well, originally I grew up uh, on Long Island, on the south shore of Long Island, in what I think was then and still called the Five Towns, Lawrence, Long Island, and kind of grew up there, but uh, went to school in Philadelphia at Penn College and law school. And what did you study, honey? Well, I became a lawyer. I graduated law school and became a lawyer, and I was an associate at a law firm here in New York, Davis Polk and Ward Well, but kind of quickly uh, pursued my passion, frankly, which was television, and figured out a way to get myself over into the general counsel's office of what was then a very small company called Viacom. Nothing like it is today in terms of ownership of Paramount and CBS. But I started really uh, to learn, if you will, the, the television business there, um, largely in business affairs. They were too cheap to have somebody full time in business affairs. And I got a call from HBO and they said, would you be willing to give up the practice of law and just do negotiations on behalf of HBO? And I think as the person was in the middle of the sentence, I literally left skid marks at the table to join HBO and from there went on to have the good fortune, if you will, of managing, uh, certainly I was at Viacom, but thereafter managed Court TV, Walmart Channel, and a bunch of networks until recently uh, at Discovery, led by ID. You've got so many channels. I didn't know that when you started almost like a lifetime ago, we had all of these cable channels at that time. Well, we did. You know, I think there was a dream actually at one point announced by John Malone, really one of the great visionaries in the business world ever. Yeah. Said that he thought he thought one day there might be as many as 500 channels. I I think in retrospect, he was short by probably another thousand or so (laughs) giving streaming and all the variations today. How do you how do you get the I this is a dumb question it will seem but the truth is I don't know how do you get all the ideas for a discovery channel for a travel channel for a true crime channel uh, how do you how do the ideas come about Well listen I think like any successful enterprise creatively it's not so much the person who is coming up as with the idea as responding to what they hear or see in the marketplace and I think what we see, frankly, is, you know, looking at as much as, a, as an old vehicle as newspapers, dare I say. But you look at what's on the front page of, uh, of papers and journals and magazines. And in the case of true crime, you know, it was always a lead. And so, frankly, listening, if you will, to the audience and seeing what they're interested in um, doesn't take a, a hell of a lot of imagination to say, Let's do this full time from a video perspective. So in the case of a, of a court TV, for example, 
um, where the popularity, maybe the wrong word, but the fascination with the O.J. Simpson trial, it wasn't hard to figure out that trials like that, Menendez, John Benet, what have you, mysteries, could be something that provided the kind of content that viewers would want to watch endlessly. And I think, frankly, that's been the secret all these years. Bottom line, listen to your audience. But what is the fascination with crime? I mean, if you turn on television, there's always a story about the FBI. Or there's a story about a mystery. There's a story about a killer. Why yeah. is it? Why is it so much fascination with crime? Well, listen. I think it harks back to what is fundamentally the elements of a of a riveting, fascinating, compelling story. You want something with a great opening, a middle, and a satisfying end. In the case of true crime, Cindy, what you have is the benefit, dare I say, of high stakes, life and death often. Add that to what is generally, not always, but generally uh, a satisfying ending. The bad guy gets caught and goes off to jail for the rest of his life, if not worse, and deservedly so. If you take those kind of stories that are inherently fascinating and add maybe a little topspin to it in the, in the form of a an intriguing or catchy title, Wives with Knives, Southern Pride, Homicide, Sinister Minister. Yeah. If you even top that with a compelling host who shows the correct emotion and uh, sentiment, if you will, and empathy, someone like I've been fortunate to work with, uh, a Paul Azan, um, over the years, a Dominic Dunn, most yeah. recently, yeah. John yeah. Walsh. You know, yeah. these are all names that are now household names to you, Cindy, and to your yes. millions of, yeah. uh, of readers. But that, that to me, it's, Cindy, it's almost a formula. Take something that has an inherent high stakes life and death, add a clever marketing perspective to it, and do it appropriately with respect for the victims. You get, I think, uh, a network successful, like an ID, and certainly like a series that have run over the years, a Dateline. Or, frankly, the, uh, the the dramatic version of this, the success that Dick Wolf has had with Law and Order and spinoffs. Okay, but some of these some of these crime stories are so skewed where we have such hatred in some cases, like for yeah. an OJ or something like that. How did you skew when you did the OJ story? Well, uh, listen. I think the one thing that we want in anything that is entertaining is something that stirs the passion. And I think these stories, in the case of O.J., you feel in the incredible sadness around the victim, Nicole Simpson. Yeah. You, I think, appropriately hate the person who arguably, not arguably in my mind, perpetrated the crime, O.J. Yeah. You have mixed feelings about that unique cast of characters uh, in, the, in the trial, across the board, starting with Johnny Cochran and many others and the judge. So when you put those elements together, the one common denominator I think that you're asking and why these work is that they stir the passion. You and, and, and I think in many cases, they play like a puzzle for us. They, we, we sit there and we say, we knew it was the other guy. We knew that person was really innocent. We knew that person was lying. So the idea of, I think, using, um, you know, your, your intuition, I think, 
we've always skewed slightly more women 25 to 54 because I genuinely believe women have an extraordinary sense of intuition. I, I covered that. I covered the O.J. story. My hatred right. for him was so intense that <laughs> I, I just don't know how you actually get access to a lot of the people that you want to interview. You don't just run the story. You actually yeah, get no, access. It's, it's, you know, something you really tap on, a, a really good question. Shows in the world of true crime that are successful today are ones that have, quote, good word of mouth in the marketplace meaning that we show the proper respect as we pursue a story to often the survivors uh, of victims of crime. And these people talk to others so that when we go in and we say, please allow us into your family, please allow us into letting us know the story behind the story, there's obviously and appropriately so some wariness. But if we have a reputation for doing things honestly, with integrity, with sensitivity, it kind of helps to get the story. What about the Jean Benet story? How did you go through with that one? Because the family wasn't very loving. How did you do that? Yeah, well, listen, I, I think in a, in a strange kind of way, that's the quintessential example of a mystery. To this day, it's never been properly solved. All sorts of fingers pointing at any number of would-be suspects without reciting them here. Everybody loves a mystery, and everybody can figure out or look at the evidence and come to a different conclusion. Sadly, that case has not been solved. And even, you know, one of the benefits we have today in telling these stories, Cindy, is that we have technology that didn't exist years ago. Yeah. We have forensics, which is an entirely new and wonderfully yeah. interesting yeah. and satisfying field. So there's kind of a hope that one day the combination of science and technology may ultimately lead to the person who is responsible for John Bonet's death. But okay. That's how we got to it. You know, we, uh, what we say is, and there's any one of a number of other mysteries that may not have the prominence that the papers gave that story. And again, because of a cast, if you will, the tragedy of this young, beautiful child. But every, every story I think has its, has its victims that we cover and we kind of look for the passion and the story behind the story. Henry, do you ever get a bang back? Do the people ever get upset at what the way you were de describe them or, or what you say about them? It's not always so perfect. It's okay for viewers, but they people have sensitivities. Don't you ever get a bang back? You know, we've been... Uh, listen, I'm sure in the course of... I, I have left ID uh, just at yeah. the end of the year. Yeah, yeah I know producing for them now and producing for others in the world of true crime. So I can say that there have not been occasions where people ended up unsatisfied with the way we covered the story. But if you look at the volume of cases over 12 years, Cindy, just that yeah. ID, you look at another eight plus years behind that at court TV, you know, our batting record is, uh, is pretty good. So I'm not going to say it's perfect and I'm sure we have made mistakes. But we, I think, are understood to be players that really do appreciate and respect the, uh, the, the people involved in these stories. Okay. Do you want to tell us about any of the mistakes, Henry? <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't say there's a mistake so much. But one thing that I, I don't know, regret, one thing that I uh, look back on with actually great degree of, of pride, but 
regret not doing more of is um, is uplifting stories that really uh, are impactful in our society today. That not only are based on true crime, but where we you know we look at stories of domestic abuse, still you know a a horrible, frankly, disease that permeates this country. OJ was the quintessential example of domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We look yeah. At, you know, look at civil rights violations. We look at the inequities that exist in our world today. Um, you know, we look at, to me, uh, gun violence, uh, which to me is an epidemic in our country today, with a variety of well-intended people trying to help resolve this issue. My regret. I do regret Sala Frank Sinatra. I've had a few. One is that we haven't used our platform. We haven't used a platform that reaches, in the case of these networks, often 70, 80 million homes that they're in. Uh, My regret is that we haven't been more impactful in some of these initiatives and bringing them to the fore. For the moment, I'm I'm just terribly uh, saddened and focused on gun violence. Um, Cindy, I'm going to give you a secret here. I'm going to give you what was then called breaking news. Yeah, what? There's going to be a mass murder in this country next month. What? I can't tell you exactly. I can't tell you whether the victims are going to be in a school, a theater, a hospital, a concert. Oh, this is your estimation. Yes, I understand. But there is going to be and yes. the reason I can yes. say that with absolute com- com- complete confidence. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Four hundred mass shootings this year alone, defined as more than four people dying. And what is it a result of? It's a result of a lot of different things. And the, you know, success has a lot of fathers, and uh, failure not so much. What I think we have here is there's a lot of people pointing to efforts towards solution. One small piece to me would be the categorization of assault rifles as military weapons. It's not going to make everything change. People will still die from gun violence. But if you took the ability to kill that many people that quickly off the table and said, you know, by the way, Americans, you can't own a tank. You can't drive down the street with a tank. No, I know. I know shoulder missile launcher. You know why? They're categorized as uh, military equipment, military. Why can't we categorize assault rifles as military weapons? You want to go use it? Join the military. No problem. I'm not saying do away with them, but just don't let somebody be able to walk into a store this afternoon and show up next month at a small school and start shooting children and puppies and anything else that moves. Henry, I think you should be knighted. I actually agree with everything you say, and I look forward to your doing something like it in the future. I love you, Henry Heschleif. Thank you for coming on and saying what you said. You, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, babe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Henry.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 